Lord Jesus, I pray that as we've seen the witness of the baptism and the power of friendships, as we have sung these songs, as we've heard the children's story, that it will be penetrating not just our minds, but into our hearts, that we are to be lights for you. Lord, as we continue to discuss that now, I pray that you'll speak to us through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Before I begin, I want to uh, thank our young people, um, the students at Spencerville Avondus Academy. You know, Jacob could have come to our school and found that Christianity or Adventism specifically was a very repulsive thing. But praise the Lord for the student body that made it an attractive thing to him that he wanted to know more about these people and why they believed what they believed and desired to study. So I thank the, the students and the faculty, but I want to particularly mention our young people for nurturing those friendships with J Jacob and, uh, and for his decision. Now I want to thank our young adults because in the same way with Lily, uh, there's a number of young adults that meet every Friday night and Lily's part of that group and they've been nurturing that relationship and connecting with her. And even at times when she was not regularly attending, uh, they were continuing to nurture that friendship and that relationship and to continue to encourage her. So that even though she made the decision years before and time had gone by, she, they, they didn't let her give up on that, on that memory of, of God calling her heart. So to our youth and to our young adults, I thank you very much for the friendships that you have nurtured and how God has used those to, uh, to change these individual lives. So thank you so much. And to Jacob and Lily, we're proud of you and we praise the Lord for you and our church family. Jacob really is one of the most excitable people in regards to wanting to know things that we know. We praise the Lord for that. I want to talk today about friendship and I'll start by telling you that as a kid, I spent most of my time with kids in my neighborhoods. I mean, we had time at school, but after school, when school was out, when I wasn't in school, I was always with the kids in my neighborhood. I remember two kids that lived near me, Brian and David, two other young men that lived near me, Brian and David. There were two Baptist boys that lived across the street. When I wasn't at school or at church, I was hanging out with these two young men. The three of us hung out with another uh, uh, kid down the road by the name of Greg, who lived a few houses down. Greg's parents didn't go to any church. The boys across the street were Baptist. Greg's parents didn't go to any church. Greg never talked about God in any way except when he was cursing. The four of us played sports together, everything that we could think of there in our neighborhood. We played pickle. I don't know if any of you ever played pickle growing up. As, as kids, we played pickle and home run derby and tackle football and soccer and baseball and almost all of it, 100, almost all of it in the street. Anyone remember those days? It was almost inevitable that someone would go home injured and crying at the end of every one of these games from falling into a curb or, or sliding into second base, forgetting that they were on pavement. Then there was Rhea. Rhea was a young lady that I had actually met at school, but she wasn't an Adventist of any sort, but her parents wanted her to go to a private school because she had gotten in some trouble at a public school. And so Rhea 
I met her there at school, but she was consistently, her, her church on Saturday and Sunday was all day long at Cal Skate Roller Rink. Any of you remember the days of roller skating where those were the places to hang out? And I remember going on Sundays and always being very privileged, feeling very honored that I was Rhea's partner in couple skate. Nothing like second graders skating around a roller rink together, uh, holding hands. But, you know, she was a great skater. I remember she had these always perfectly white roller skates with hot pink laces. Rhea was a good friend of mine. There was also Steven. Steven lived about four streets down from me, and I met him uh, through Little League. And from the ages of about 10 to 12 years old, Stephen was my best friend. Stephen's parents were Catholic, but they never went to church, and so Stephen occasionally did come to church with us. We were in constant competition with each other. We were both the starting shortstops on our respective Little League teams, and we'd try to be like the pros before the game. We'd go out to the middle of the field, you know, kind of have like this talk about, hey, good luck, and do the man hug thing, and after the game, we'd, we'd wait for each other and say hello, trying to imitate the pros like we saw on TV. There was also Chad, another Chad, Nick and Jared and Eric. As a kid, the majority of my friends were non-Aventists, and for the most part, the majority of them were non-Christians. To be a kid again. Today, we're starting a mini-series, a mini-series, just three parts, called Living in 3D, and we want to talk about living in 3D. The first 3D experience that I remember having was on this ride called Star Tours. Any of you remember that ride from Disneyland or, or Disney World? Star Tours? No one remembers that ride, or we're just not. I see a few people back there waving their arms. Uh, Star Tours was, was this ride where, where, you know, as a little kid, I thought it was the most amazing thing, but I learned later that you actually just went into this box. And it just rocked you around, up, back and forth, and up and down, side to side. There was no actual movement at all. But you felt like you were moving because you were wearing these 3D glasses. And everything was hurtling towards you. And I remember that there was this part in the ride where this meteor is, is flying towards the vessel. And, and the, the people are screaming, we need to, we're going to be destroyed. Oh, get out the cannon. Oh, fire the meteor. And all of a sudden they shoot some laser at this, at this meteor and it explodes. And they shoot a gust of wind on you. And right then, because of the, the vividness of the 3D, you could almost swear that the meteor, pieces of the meteor, hit you in the face and touch you. It feels like something's, something's happening. 3D brings definition to things that are otherwise flat. Things that otherwise go by us unnoticed. Suddenly when we put on those 3D glasses, they, they have dimension to them. They have, they have perspective to them. We're talking about today and the next two weeks living in 3D. We want to be people that live in 3D with the 3D glasses on so that, so that people begin to jump out at us. That we will begin to see people, not just as folk that we're passing by, but, but people that have dimension, people that have value. I started off this morning talking about my friends from childhood. These were friends that were different colors and different social status and, and different religions or, different, or no religion at all for that matter. People of all different uh, shapes and sizes. And they were all my friends simply because as a kid I loved having friends. And there were people that were in my environment. They were the people that were there, so those were the people that I was going to be friends with. Open your Bibles. Turn to the book of Matthew. We'll begin in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 today. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We think about kids, and when we think about this text, we oftentimes think about the, 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 the simple faith of a child. We oftentimes think about the, the, the unconditional love of a child. But today I want us to learn from the idea or to put our minds in the, the idea of how kids have the ability, children have the ability to simply be friends with whoever and whenever. They just are good at being friends. Have you ever noticed that most children will be friends with just about anybody? With just about anybody. Some of those people you say, oh, I don't know if I want them to be friends with. But, but that's a child. They're, they're just open and, and loving and willing to be friends with everyone. That is why, as parents, we have to say to kids, don't take candy from what? Strangers. For the very reason that we know that, hey, they're already willing to be friends with just about anybody. If, they, if a stranger has candy, they're really going to be friends with that person. Kids, they know how to develop friendships. They know how to live in 3D. They know how to see the dimensions of people. Our first D that we're going to look at this morning in living in 3D is developing friendships. Developing friendships. Now let me say this, if you have no friends, not because of, uh, not because of, uh, of, because you choose not to have friends, or if you don't like to make friends, or if all your friends are already believers and you don't know anyone who's not an unbeliever, I can tell you this, it's virtually impossible for you to be a witness for Jesus. I wanted to share with you a very sad statistic that, I've learned, uh, that I learned back when I was in seminary and it might have even gotten worse since then. But the statistic is this, that within four years of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, the average member has zero significant friends or relationships outside of Adventism. Within four years of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, people have zero significant friendships or relationships outside of the Adventist church. That is one of the saddest numbers to me ever. But if we look at our own lives for just a moment, I think we will see that there is actually some truth in this. You know, the older I got, when I was a kid, I was friends with everybody, but the older I got, the further I moved away from my neighborhood friends. Not in proximity, but just relationally. The older I got, the more I became, began to hang out with my own kind. But this isn't a problem that is exclusive only to Adventists. This is actually a problem that is, that is, that is across Christendom. Studies also show that within eight years of becoming a Christian, those who are actively engaged in their church have zero significant relationships outside of that church. Isn't that sad that, that, that the very place you go to learn about Jesus, you stop living like Jesus? Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, listen to this, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors 
and sinners. In our modern culture, those would be synonyms for people that we would define maybe as unbelievers or the lost. Now, if we read the entire life of Jesus, if we read the the story of of Jesus' life, we will see this was not an isolated incident. It wasn't like, oops, I happened at a meal and there happened to be some unbelievers there. No, this was a regular practice of Jesus' life to engage people that were not like him. You think tax collectors and sinners were like Jesus? Probably not in really any way, shape, or form. And yet people that were not like them to, to engage them in his life, to engage them in his life. Now, I don't see Jesus sitting there with them on the first meeting and, and, and lecturing them on, on what, their, what their problems were or, or how they should change. When I see Jesus having dinner with these people, when I see Jesus engaging these people, we, we only oftentimes read hear the conversion part of the story. But I believe there was a lot of dialogue and a lot of relationship that went on in the midst of that. I see Jesus talking to them like friends, asking them about their work, asking them about their families, asking them what they like to do for fun. In the Bible, we get all the conversions. We probably don't get the majority of the stories leading up to that. We don't get the times that Jesus hung out as a friend. In the book of Evangelism, there's this statement. Do not make prominent those features of the message which are a condemnation of the customs and practices of the people. This is why I say I don't see Jesus saying, hey, you need to fix this, you need to fix that. Oh, you know, this aspect of your lifestyle is bad, this aspect of your lifestyle is bad. Because we're told that, that, he did, that we're told not to, to initially condemn the customs and the practices of the people until they have an opportunity to know that we are believers in Christ, that we believe in his divinity and in his preexistence. Let the testimony of the world's redeemer be dwelt upon. Or what about this quote from Gospel Workers, page 119? Give them evidence that you are a Christian, that you desire peace, and that you love their souls. Give them evidence that you are a Christian, that you desire peace, and that you love their souls. Let them see you are conscientious. Thus, you will gain their confidence, and there will be time enough. I love that phrase. There will be time enough for doctrines. Let the heart be won. Let the soil be prepared. And then sow the seed, presenting in love the truth as it is in Jesus. We need to be friends with people and let them know we love them as friends before we start trying to correct and rebuke them. And even then, we maybe shouldn't correct and rebuke them. We should present the truth in love. But we should be friends first. There she says in Gospel Workers that, that we should let them know that we love their souls. Now, if you walk up to a stranger on the street and you say to them, man, I love you. Are, gonna, are they going to think, man, this is such a blessing in this moment? Give me a hug. If they do that, you should probably run the other direction, right? How is the only way that someone truly actually believes that you love them? If you first, what, become their friend. If you become their friend. None of us, 99% of us, don't approach strangers. We don't sit in the subway and say, man, I love you. If you go to New York, you'll have people tell you that. Be a little shaky on it. You don't say that to people, but we do say that to our friends. Let them know that you love their souls. The only way to do that is if we are first friends with them. We need to be friends with people. Jesus developed friendships. That was his primary evangelistic strategy. How did Jesus and how do we do this? I don't know about you all, but as I got older, my friends became more and more like me. 
they acted like me, they talked like me, they played the same, uh, they did the same activities as me, they had similar backgrounds as me. My friends were those that made me feel comfortable, not uncomfortable. Those were the people that I was friends with. I no longer saw all kinds of people as worthy to be my friends. I mean, that's just the truth. I would look at someone and I would assess, do I like what they believe? Do I like how they act? Do I like what they do? And then I would say, okay, well, then I'm willing to be friends with them. And if not, then I would say, no, I will not be friends with you. And you're outside my, my circle of friendship. In other words, I was passing judgment on them. They are probably passing judgment on me. But there comes a point in the Christian's life when we should no longer operate in this way. One of the most famous lines from one of the greatest speeches in American history is Dr. Martin Luther King when he said, I have a dream that one day my children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I love that statement and I love that speech that Dr. Martin Luther King gave. And hopefully we as Christians are helping this to become more reality every day. This dream of Martin Luther King is wonderful, that people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But Jesus was able to be friends with the lost. He was able to have meals with, with sinners and prostitutes and, and tax collectors. He was able to be around these people and not be uncomfortable because he took Dr. Martin Luther King's statement and didn't judge them by their nationality or their, the color of their skin, but he took it one step further. He didn't even judge people by the content of their character. He didn't even judge them on who they were in that moment, on what their struggles were, on what their difficulties were. He judged them based on who they could become. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. In this chapter of Romans, Paul is talking about the patriarch Abraham and his amazing faith. Abraham is the patriarch that we read about in the first book of the Bible. Abraham was called a friend of God. Now we're talking about friendship. Abraham was called a friend of God. Was Abraham a friend of God because he was so perfect, because he was so great, because he came from the, the great family? Abraham was a man that lived amongst idol worshipers, and his family were idol worshipers. There were people that, that worshiped idols. Now, some of us, probably at times in our life, have, whether by our own parents or we've done it to our kids as well, have maybe discouraged our kids or, or we've been discouraged of being friends with certain individuals because of their family. You know, their family doesn't really... They do some things that we don't really agree with, and we'd be more comfortable if you didn't spend as much time with them. You don't have to admit if you said this or not, or even if you thought this, but I'm sure that most of us have. Most of us have, have had those moments where we thought, you know, they come from a bad family. Abraham came from a bad family, yet he was still a friend of God. He was a man with weak character at times. Abraham wasn't a... a Jesus didn't look at him and say, the content of his character is so amazing that I'm going to be friends with him. Jesus did not look at that in that way. This man at times had weak characters. He gave up his wife to save his own backside, not once, but how many times? Twice. And it must have had enough impression because his son did the exact same thing as him. Parents, remember what we do and how we live will impact our kids far beyond our years. 
But twice, twice, he was willing to let another man be with his wife so that he'd be safe. Now let me ask you, is that a high character value? High character value? Probably not. We have marriage and family people here. Is that a good marriage and family thing? Probably not. He had this weak character at times. He wasn't perfect. He invited concubines into his life, into his bed. Not exactly a high character trait. And yet he was called a friend of God. How was this possible? Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Here, Paul writing about Abraham. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead, and then listen to this line, and calls the things that are not as though they were. He calls the things that are not as though they were. What's this saying? He didn't call Abraham to be his friend based on who he was, but based upon who he could become. He called Abraham based on what he could become in Christ Jesus. And when we look at Jesus' life, when we look at Jesus' life, this must be the way that Jesus was able to be friends with all kinds of people. The reason Jesus was able to be friends with anyone and everyone was that he was willing, that he, he is willing to not judge us by the content of our character, but to judge us based on who we can become if we connect with him. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus didn't look down and see a harlot. He saw a woman that could become something if she connected to him. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus didn't look at this man that everybody hated and said, man, everybody hates this guy. I don't want to be friends with him either. This guy's a thief. This guy's a robber. He didn't look at him and say, well, his character's not bad, so I'm not, his character's bad, so I'm not going to be friends with him. Jesus saw who he could become if he connected with him. The woman at the well who no one wanted to be friends with, who no one wanted to be friends with. She was out there at a time of day when she could avoid people because she had, she had had so many different men in her life and the women didn't want to be connected to her. Jesus didn't look at her and say, you know, I wonder why no one wants to be friends with this woman. Let's admit it, in our own lives, there's people that have come into our lives and as we've gotten to know them, we've thought to ourselves, there might be a reason these people don't have friends. And if you've never thought that, maybe you're, never mind. Saul of Tarsus, he didn't say, there's a murderer. I don't want anything to do with him. He said, no, he can become something if he's friends with me. Jesus, our Lord, our God, is the one that calls things that are not as though they were. Guess what? Including you and including me. None of us had perfect characters when we approached God. And probably most of us still don't have perfect characters. And yet, he still calls us his friends. A quote from the book Education. In every human being, Jesus discerned infinite possibilities. He saw men and women as they might be transfigured by his grace in the beauty of the Lord our God. In every human being, Jesus discerned 
infinite possibilities. If we are going to live as 3D Christians, we must develop friendships. And how do we develop redemptive friendships? Is to see people with infinite possibilities through Jesus Christ. We should not choose friends based on the color of their skin, whether they are black or white, yellow or brown, tan or pale. We should not choose friends based on their religion, whether they're Jewish or Hindu or Muslim, based on their denomination, whether they're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic. We should not choose friends based on whether or not they are homosexual or heterosexual. We should not choose friends whether they're divorced or married, whether they are, are, a, are a drinker or a smoker or whatever else it may be. We should not choose friends based upon their economic status. We should seek to be friends with everyone Jesus gives us opportunity to be friends with, not because they're great but because through Jesus Christ they can be made great in his love do we see people as who they can become in Christ Jesus God saw Abraham not as he was but as he could become and he called him his friend who do we have opportunity to be friends with in our world right now do you see people who are now in your lives that can become something in Jesus? This week I want us to think about the people who are not yet our friends, but who could become our friends. Maybe this week we finally asked the postman or the postwoman his or her name. Maybe we could ask our dry cleaner about his or her family. Maybe we could ask them about their job. Man, it's really hot in here. How do you handle it? Start up a conversation. Maybe we could, rather than going through the drive-thru, we could get out and go to the counter. Maybe we, rather than going through the, through the, to the ATM, we could get out and talk to the teller. I had a great experience with a lady at Bank of America. We were having a conversation and she was complimenting my kids. And, and she was saying how beautiful my boys were. And I said, uh, do you have any kids? And she goes, no, but I like some. And I said, well, do you? Do you have a husband? She said, no, I'd like that too. <laughs> I'd already told her I was a pastor, and she said, well, you can pray for that. And you know what I did? I prayed with her. There at the bank, at the teller, she was perfectly fine with it. Maybe we just get out and don't go to the ATM all the time. And God can help start something. God can start a connection. Maybe walk across the street. And look in your neighbor's eye and say hello and introduce yourself. Ask God why he chose to put you where he's at and to see the potential. To not just see people as flat beings, but to see the dimensions of them and who they can become through Christ Jesus. Who they can become through Christ Jesus. And then start making friends. Don't preach to them, but make friends. Make friends like you would have when you were six years old, and it didn't matter who they were or what they were about. When we begin to do this, when we begin to see people's potential the way that God saw and sees each of us, and each and every human being, when we get, begin to see the potential, great things can happen. I want to invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time. Those cards, those white cards that you have, you just pull them out of your offering envelopes. We're going to turn these in at the back door when we're done, or you can turn them in at the Welcome Center. Of course, there's information there. You saw the baptisms, maybe some of your hearts the whole time. I've been talking, you've not been thinking about me. You've just been thinking about God 
pressing you upon baptism, that's fine. Love to work with you on that. You can check those boxes. But there on the back, there's our next step for today, for today's sermon, our response to today's sermon. And the response is, Jesus, help me to see. Help me to open my eyes and see and to make friends with people as Jesus did, just as they are. Just a simple prayer. Jesus, my prayer this week is, help me to make friends with other people just as they are. If you begin to do this, and you do it for Jesus and in the name of Jesus, he will bless your life. I've had parents talk to me at different times about how worried they are about their kids and some of the friendships they have. And, I, you know, you're telling, you talk to us about being friends with other people, but, but, but I'm worried about my kids. And they, Folks, let's teach our kids to make friendships for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus. And then we don't have to worry about those things so much. Then we don't have to worry about those things so much. But when we start doing this, great things can happen when we begin to see potential. I want to close with a story, personal story from uh, my family's life. My dad was a hippie. Uh, you wouldn't know this now. He's a very properly coiffed, professorial-looking dude. But he was a hippie. And uh, when he went to Armona Union Academy, he was about to get kicked out of Monterey Bay Academy. His brother just got kicked out. He was next in line, so he quickly left and went to Armona Union Academy. You may be thinking right now, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, does it? Um, I never got kicked out. I only got suspended three times, but never close to getting kicked out. But, but my dad left. He went to Armona Union Academy. He was the 100th student at Armona Union Academy. And so they said to him, you're the 100th student. We want you to be in the local newspaper. We want to put your picture up on the bulletin board. Will you cut your hair? And he said, no, I will not. They didn't take his picture. They didn't put him up on the bowl. They didn't kick him out either, though, because they wanted to keep their 100 students, you know, in high school. He wore a hose for a belt. A bunch of the kids were hitchhiking to school. And so um, a bunch of kids were hitchhiking to school, and the school thought, you know, this isn't really a safe thing. So they said, well, let's buy a car and we'll give it to one of the students and they can drive the kids back and forth to school from distances. Um, that would never happen in this day and age, but you know, insurance was a different thing at that time. So they got a car and my dad was the oldest, so, so he was the one that got to drive the, the, the students back and forth from, uh, from Lindsay, California over to, uh, to Hanford. And my dad thought at one point that it'd be fun to uh, decorate this car a little. And so my dad painted the car in flowers and, 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 and peace signs and psychedelic art. My dad was quite an artist. One time he took the car and the school, Armona Academy, the doors would open, you know, there was uh, just a, a single opening at that time. My dad took the car and he thought it'd be funny and so he parked it in front of the doors. The bell rang, the students come to run out of school, boom, they can't get out of school. The car's there, my dad's nowhere to be found with the, with the keys. Not only those things, those, you know, Minor humorous pranks, but my dad also had a drug problem, was very uh, uh, consistent or in his drug use uh, at school and away from school. He said the best time was during PE class. He had a PE teacher that was oblivious to what was going on. He used to park, they used to park the truck, go sit the truck down at the end of the PE field, get high, then come and do their sports. So this was my dad. This was who he was. When my mom began dating my dad, uh, my grandma tells me that 
that many concerned, not one or two, many concerned citizens of the community called her up and said, you need to get your daughter away from that Stuart boy. Praise the Lord. She didn't listen to him, or maybe my mom didn't listen to her mom, whatever it was. But there was a teacher by the name of Mrs. Collins. We call her E.C. now in our family. But Mrs. Collins, who saw something in my dad, and she, she approached him one day, and she was talking to him about, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And, and he was talking about different things, and she said, where are you going to go to college? He said, I don't know. His dad didn't go, finish college. His mom didn't go to college. Neither of his brothers went to college. And so college wasn't high on the radar for my dad. But she thought that he should go to school, and she wanted him in one of our Adventist schools. He said, well, maybe I'll go to a JC school. She's like, no, I want you in one of our Adventist schools. You need to take your SAT so that you can get into one of our schools. He said, I don't have the money to take the SAT. I'm not going to take the SAT, and left it at that. Well, one Saturday night, this teacher called my dad, and she called my dad, and she said, Daryl, I want you to be ready tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. He said, for what? She said, I'm going to pick you up. Where are we going? I'm taking you to, to take your SAT. He said, well, I didn't sign up. She said, I already signed you up. Be ready at 8 a.m. He said, well, I don't have the money to pay for it. She said, I already paid for it, which was a big deal because she was a, a, a widowed teacher of four uh, young children that were all attending the Adventist school there as well. She said, I already paid for it, so be ready at 8 a.m. And so my dad was ready at 8 a.m. She picked him up. My dad went and took the SAT, and this drugged-out hippie, scored so high on the SAT that he got a free ride to Pacific Union College through the California State Governor's Scholarship. Because a teacher saw something in him. I once asked this teacher years later, I asked her years later, you know, because my dad's gone on to, to do, he has several undergrad degrees, he has a couple masters, he has a doctorate, he taught in our Adventist system at the academy level and then at Pacific Union College and then the graduate level at Loma University and then for Andrews University as well for over 30 years. I asked her, I said, why would you, why would you work so hard for my dad? She said, because I saw who he could be if he was just given the chance. And therefore, because someone saw who my dad could be and someone became his friend, Someone reached out to him. Someone showed him that she loved him. At that point in my dad's life, when Jesus came knocking on the door of his heart, he said yes. And his life and my life and my family's life is different because of it. Folks, when we see people, not for who they are, but who they can become in Jesus Christ, great things can happen. Let us pray. Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to be friends with people, not because they're like us, not because they're perfect, not because they agree with us, but because you've given us the opportunity to be their friend and to show them the love of Jesus. Lord, And as we are friends with people, we'll look for the opportunities to share you and to see their lives transformed for the glory of God. In your name we pray, amen.